0: Good, I have a question for you, because we were just going over this Mac Jones situation, the rant yesterday uh, about RPOs and how much he likes them. Um, they don't run them, and I'm just curious, if, if you're Mac Jones, how can you not be frustrated with the fact that you don't have any pre-snap motion, you don't really do much play action, and you certainly don't do RPOs, in which he is good at?
1: I think, of course, you have frustration, the way you would when any new boss comes in. To any situation generally there's a feeling out process and it's even exacerbated when your last boss was a flipping genius and set you up to succeed. And your boss before him helped you to win a national championship. And you had toys all over the place to throw to in an easy offense where you were always the best player on the field by a lot. So yeah, it's, it's gotta be hard for him to play in what's probably a stripped down, dumbed down offense that, he might well be on the same plane as the practitioners of.
2: Tom, I want to ask you about the receiver room, uh, because we're seeing a lot of playing time from Devonte Parker, not a ton of production, just through two games. Uh, are we looking at a receiver room that may have an odd man out uh, come a couple weeks when Taekwon Thur- Thornton returns?
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and I don't think the Parker stuff, I mean, I heard, Andy's rant coming in, and I'd love to circle back. No, I want to circle back to it because I think it's interesting. I asked Matt Castle about it, too, but in terms of the depth, they have a bunch of C-plus to solid B receivers and pass catchers. I think we could all agree on that. Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, I would certainly call a B. Um, Johnny Smith should be at least a B-minus. Hunter Henry's probably a B, B B-minus. Parker, Nelson Aguilar, Throw them all in there. It's not enough guys to get balls. And last week we saw that with the two tight ends and with Devontae Parker. We're going to see it again with somebody else this week. There's just not enough for there to be 30 completions to everybody so that everybody's getting five catches. So, And then Thornton comes back. You're right, Meg. and And he is exhibit A for what the Patriots are trying to implement that Andy was referencing about going down the field and taking shot plays. He never would have been drafted with all of those measurables that don't measure up to what the Patriots are looking for and that absurd downfield speed if they weren't saying, you know what, we are going to start pressing it down the field and taking advantage of some shots if we like the coverage.
3: So, Tom, this um, this idea that Mac sort of articulated about a, a different philosophy on the 50-50 balls and – Obviously, there were two that we can point to. One was an interception. One was a great play by Aguilar. Um, Both of those sort of changed their respective games in Week 1 and Week 2. But my question is more of, uh, around here it used to be, you know, get open and catch the football, favorite receivers, the open receiver, and and I think Josh McDaniels felt his job was to scheme people open, to give quarterbacks open targets. And now it's almost like, yeah, 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 we throw 50-50 balls, and that's how you're rationalizing the fact that, nobody gets open.
1: I think we both would agree that it's more complicated than that. I'm thinking that it's radio. So I know, but (laughs) when when we talk about how hard is it, how hard do we understand? And when the Patriots enter every game, including what they'll do against Baltimore on Sunday, trying to do, if you're going to win, you're gonna to have to do it with ten play drives, twelve play drives, fifteen play drives. That's what they did to Pittsburgh last week. Mitch Trubisky could not execute it. Had a nice drive going. Eventually the Patriots got the better of and they came up with a pick. It's too hard to do. The Patriots every single game last year were a non explosive play doing team. We talked about it, I think you and me. Um A couple nights ago on early edition. Demir Bird, I think that's the last downfield touchdown throw I've seen that was caught in the end zone. The guys that that were getting schemed open last year, look at the numbers. Brandon Bolden's yards after catch were absurd because Josh McDaniels is brilliant at at scheming things up and setting things up. Patricia's not. And I think the Belichick realizes, look, this nip, 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 nip until you're done with the sandwich, we can't have it. Somebody's got to take a big bite. And we're going to try and do that a little bit. No, I don't think that they're lining up and saying, oh, wow, let's just whip this into the end zone against Xavier and Howard. I think that was a miscalculation. But I think he definitely looked at the matchup that Devontae Parker had last week on a linebacker and said, do it. And it was a crap throw. Terrible.
0: Hey, Tommy, I want to ask you about this offensive line because I thought they were really good, particularly the rookie Cole Strange against Cam Hayward. But – was that a one-week thing Did they figure out after a week? Was there actually something that they that they did differently, or was it just they all just individually played better? Can you rely on I, that?
1: Yeah, I think the communication was so much better. They, we didn't have those plays where we looked at it and said they were doomed. So if you could communicate what the blitz coverage will be between Trent Brown and Cole Strange and Mac Jones, which they should be able to do certainly this week at home, it should be even easier to do. Then you won't have free runners, which the Patriots allowed on back to back plays. And that was, as we could probably agree, the the critical play in the opener was the strip sack touchdown. Mm -hmm. That came because of just, that came because of pilot error. That wasn't, you know, that wasn't a machine that wasn't built to fly. The guy just ran it into the friggin' side of the mountain in Trent Brown. So I think it's merely being on your stuff as opposed to not being capable of being on it. you know what I'm saying?
2: Tom, yeah. between you, between you and Phil, have you noticed any changes on the sideline in terms of how the coaches are operating, running the yeah. offense? Uh, like we we noticed that Billy Yates came down and was on the field for the entirety of the game in Week Two versus Week One. How has that changed?
1: I what Bill maintained last week was we don't mind having Billy Yates up top because he'll be there to observe from the eye in the sky, and then we will use his intel in the second half once the game's declared. But obviously with Matt Patricia trying to work with Mac and then trying to work with the offensive line in the first half, they had too many busts in the first half. So Billy Yates being on the sideline throughout the game allowed probably Matt Patricia more leeway to do both. I think Bill Belichick, and Phil has observed this, he's been at both games, I'm in the studio, but Phil observed that in both games, especially the the second game against Pittsburgh, Belichick was devoting time to the offense. You know, crouched in front of them, back to the field, the way he would so frequently do with the defense when he would sit there and go, slants and in cuts. That's the game. Because McDaniels had it. It was it was done. And and the notion we've had so much conversation about Mac Jones this week. And I'm really dumbfounded by the notion of his Mac regressing, and if so, why so, and how bad is this going to hurt him long-term. It's two games, and they are dropping from McDaniels to guys who have never done it before and have multiple responsibilities. And Belichick has now jumped in. I don't think anything here has to do with Mac Jones.
3: Agreed. You know, I, I think this is a free year for Mac Jones. I've been saying that for a long time because if he succeeds, I think everybody's going to rave about it. And if he fails, I think most people will point to coaching and scheme and talent before they start pointing at Mac. But all this conversation about the offense and Mac has us kind of ignoring a defense that's played pretty pretty well through two weeks. And I wonder, do we have um, hangover from last year? Are we so hesitant because of last year when this defense looked good against bad teams but then fell on its face against the Bills? To sort of credit what this defense is doing, at least through the two challenges of the first two weeks,
1: and that's the same thing they did in nineteen too, right? Yep. Andy yep. start eight and zero, and then you face plant down the stretch. Yep. So I think probably to a degree there was the the Mitch Trubisky yabut yeah, there was the Tua yabut, yeah, but if you combine what Tua did the next week against the Ravens, the Yabut yeah, was erased. Remember in twenty nineteen the Patriots were eight and zero. They went into Baltimore on a Sunday night and they got run on silly, silly. So is the same thing going to occur this week and the Patriots will be unmasked because that was the unmasking in 2019 of what was a defense that was on a historic pace. What will they be able to do against a Ravens team? I think they're going to be a lot better because nobody on the Ravens right now can run Mm -hmm. except for Lamar Jackson. He's their entire rushing attack. Yeah, Tommy. So,
0: yeah, spe- go ahead, Bud. I'm sorry. Speaking of Lamar, we had a discussion the other day. Obviously, Bill talked about it, and and we all think like 2018, probably timing, right? Brady was still there, but Lamar Jackson type quarterback is available. Do they stick with a guy like Mac Jones with that high floor, or would they take a shot on somebody like Lamar Jackson, right? The guy that could be a home run. Just you ever think back about those two difference yeah. in quarterbacks?
1: Yeah, I'm writing a column on it now because I think it's so fascinating. The dichotomy between the two, you have Mac, who was the worst athlete of the five first-round picks, but had the most beautiful mind and the most accuracy and was the most pro-ready, and he walked in and he had a rookie of the year caliber season. And then you have Lamar Jackson, who had to sit for a year and then had to sit for another half season until week 10 of his rookie year. And even then, he didn't complete more than 60% of his passes but he still ran, I think for 90 or more yards, four or five times. And since then in 60 games, he's the sixth leading rusher as a quarterback in NFL history behind like McNair and Newton and Steve young. He's already all the way up there. So the ceiling for Jackson is high for was probably low. If he didn't improve as a thrower, but as Dev McCourty said yesterday, he's better. That's the problem. He got better. And now he's, if you put the two of them up, but do you guys agree with this? Lamar Jackson was better in year two than Mac
3: Jones will be. Lamar was an MVP. Yes. Yes. yes, 100%. <laughs>
1: yes. He's better than Mac Jones is now.
3: Yes.
2: yes. Yes.
1: And he'll probably, at his best, will always be better than Mac Jones was. Yes.
2: Well, but Tom. So did, so <laughs> did they blow okay. it Okay. Tom, it? This, is, it Tom it? Tommy, this is where I want to come in with the yeah, but. Because yeah. we were talking about this yesterday, with the quarterback types th- that are so heavy on the run, like Lamar Jackson, isn't it so often a question of sustainability? So when he's at his best, but is that best going to be 10 years, 12 years in the league where where franchises are looking for quarterbacks to do that?
1: I don't know. I don't know. But, but here's the interesting thing, Meg. His development as a thrower has certainly... I would have, I would guess most people who watch the league would say, okay, this isn't a four or six year quarterback. It's probably a 10 or 11 year quarterback, and he's got enough arm and will always have that speed where it's always going to be a threat. He might not run 14 times a game, but he can run four for 40 and hurt you the same way Russell Wilson could. Uh, it's, and there is, in a vacuum, the Patriots peed away so many first and second round picks on the Duke Dawson's and the Keel Harry's and the Joanne Williams's that taking Lamar Jackson in 2018 at number 31 wouldn't have been a big deal. But for them to get their brains around having just lost to the Eagles and allowing 41 points, to having Brady at the end of his career and wanting to maximize that, to saying, okay, let's, let's just draft this guy and see what happens, I don't think they could have done it. It, uh, yeah. it was a miss, no doubt but I still don't blame them for missing.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, Tommy. Listen, man, we appreciate the time. Always look forward to talking to you on Thursdays. Looking forward to talking to you next week. You enjoy the weekend, pal. See you. Thanks, Tommy. There it is. All right, see you later, buddy. Uh, Listen, by the way, at 5.15, so 5.20, we're going to talk to Vince Wilfork. Um, He's going to join us, Patriots Hall of Famer, 32nd inductee into the Patriots Hall of Fame. We'll talk to Vince at about 5.15 when we come back. Um, No real updates, kind of what we've seen. It's been a quiet day for the last few hours here in the Eme Odoka situation. We'll give you our thoughts on Eme possibly being suspended for the entire year. I'll tell you what I've been hearing. That's next.